0: Let's start with a word of prayer. And Father God, we do pray that you would speak to us through your holy word. We thank you for it as it declares to us who you are, the things you've done, your plan for our salvation from before the foundations of the earth. These great things, things that are too wonderful for us to know and to comprehend, and yet, Lord, you've seen fit to communicate to us, to let us know, to let us in. To save us, so we praise you for these things. Thank you for your holy word, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ready? Here's a test for you. Up, black, left, half full. All right, you guys did pretty good. I just wanted to make sure you were with me this morning. Contradiction. Uh, a. Con- <laughs> You're still doing it. Okay, uh, a contradiction. It's a, it's a statement of, uh, of position opposite to one that's already been stated, right? A, a person, a thing, or, or a situation in which inconsistent elements are present. A, a combination of statements, ideas, or features of a situation that are opposed to one another. The Christian walk... Is full of these kinds of things, isn't it? Have you noticed any of them? We, we, there is one God in three persons, right? These seeming contradictions on the surface. We, we are made perfect in Christ, and yet we are being sanctified. Now and not yet, it's this, this seeming contradiction that we have to try and comprehend in our faith from God's word as he describes it to us. On the outside, at first glance, these seem like contradictions uh, until one studies the whole of Scripture and we begin to understand the infinite depths, the the omni-greatness of the almighty God that we worship, the, the God that we get to call Father. Today we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 16, the first five verses of it, and we're going to see what I call a gracious contradiction. It's a contradiction that that pours out the love of Christ onto those around us, a contradiction that puts the reality of our faith on display for all to see, one that puts the meat on the bones of what we say we believe. You see, some scholars read this passage and they say that Paul is contradicting himself. He would have never said or done what he does in this passage. Therefore, Luke must be wrong. This couldn't be an accurate account of events. We're going to look at these verses and we're going to see just why it is exactly what God has told us in his word according to his love for us. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 16, verses 1 through 5. Let's stand up for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. The reading of God's Word. Go ahead and be seated. Did you see the contradiction? Uh, On one account, these scholars are hitting on something, aren't they? With the circumcision of Timothy, Paul does contradict himself. This is the same man who refused to have Titus circumcised. He would not allow it to happen. Galatians chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, it says, But even Titus, who was with me, in order to preserve the truth of the gospel, that's what he writes to us in the book of Galatians, under no pressure would Paul allow Titus to be circumcised. Paul knew and was in full agreement with the decrees that were handed down by the Second Jerusalem Council that we looked at just a few weeks ago that declared that the Gentiles are not to be beholden to the law. In fact, if you remember, during that very debate, in chapter 15, Peter says, God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them, the Greeks, the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us. And He made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers, nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus just as they will. That was in response to a group of people who demanded that the Gentiles, the Greeks, be circumcised in order to be believers, in order to be faithful Christians. Peter says it's a yoke too heavy even for us to bear. Why would we put that on anybody else? We are all saved by grace. Jew, Gentile, every last one. No one is under the heavy yoke of the law any longer. We are free, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. No distinction. Physical circumcision does not a Christian make. Because our faith is not about religious works. According to chapter 15, verse 2, Paul himself had had no small dissension and debate with those who were trying to enforce circumcision as a matter of faith. So here in our passage today... While in the process of distributing this very information to the churches throughout Syria and Cilicia, if you look at verse 41, the verse right before we started reading, 41 of chapter 15, it says, and he, Paul, went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And in verse 4, what, was, what were they doing as they went through those churches? Verse 4 of Chapter 16, it says, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. These very decisions that circumcision was not necessary is what they were going through these cities, distributing and saying, this is what you should be doing. Paul, a man who valiantly and rightly fought against the party of the circumcision." The Judaizers, those who said, if you're going to be a good Christian, you've got to be a good Jew first. Paul, a man who would not let Titus be circumcised under any pressure. He gets to Derby and Lystra and he meets Timothy. And he has him circumcised because of the Jews who were there. Verse 3 of our passage, it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. What is this? Why would Paul seemingly contradict everything that he stood for? Why did Paul make this request of Timothy, and why in the world would Timothy agree to such a thing? What is the book of Acts all about? What's the key verse to the whole book of Acts? Chapter 1, verse... Eight, right the church empowered by the holy spirit of god sharing the good news of jesus christ to the ends of the earth right a mission passed on to us that we would fill the gap that we would continue to bear witness to the person and works of jesus christ as long as we are on this earth on a passive reading this situation that we're confronted with today seems to be a contradiction, doesn't it? On a a black and white level, maybe it is. But remember that this is the God who knows our hearts. Something that Peter said in that passage in chapter 15, right? This is all about our hearts. Chapter 15, verse 8. What Paul and Timothy do here is not a religious right in order to gain some kind of righteousness before God, but instead is a selfless act of empathy. It's a selfless act of empathy. It's, it's an act of love for others. It's an act that leaves the doors of sharing the gospel wide open for the future, It's an act that strengthens the churches. Did Timothy have to be circumcised? No. Paul would agree full well with that. Timothy did not have to be circumcised. Not according to the decision of the Jerusalem council. Timothy would have been very well justified before God to have said, No, no, I don't don't think so. I'm allergic to pain, Paul. And according to God, I don't have to do this, and therefore, I won't. I don't have to. This is no small thing to ask of a young man, is it? Think about it for a second. There was no anesthesia. Don't even try and cut on me any part of my body without putting me out first, right? Genesis chapter 34, we're given an account of an entire city that circumcised themselves in order to get something they wanted, and and in Genesis 34, the sons of Jacob were able to slay all the men in that entire city three days after they had been circumcised. That's how good it feels. They couldn't defend themselves. They couldn't even rise up out of bed uh, three days after having been circumcised. It hurts that much. Suffice it to say that the circumcision of Timothy was a dramatically loving and empathetic thing for him to do. Because in verse 1 of our passage today, we read that Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. We have a conflict of interest there, don't we? In verse 3, we read that all those who were there, the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy, his lineage, the people there, they knew it full well. He was well spoken of by the brothers, but the Jews all knew. This is a guy whose mother was Jewish, but his father, he was a Greek He was an uncircumcised Gentile, and as his father, he would have left his son uncircumcised. But with a Jewish mother, Timothy's a Jew. As an uncircumcised Jew, what is he? He's apostate. He's unclean. In the eyes of any Jew who looked upon Timothy, Paul knew, Timothy knew, that this Lack of circumcision for Timothy would be a major roadblock for any Jews that they might come into contact with because they knew him. They knew what he was. He might as well be a leper who pokes babies in the eyes and steals their candy and then says, now let me share Christ with you. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. What? It wouldn't work. They wouldn't even begin to engage them. The conversations wouldn't even get started. The Jews could not and would not spend the time it would take to understand where Paul and Timothy are coming from, their freedom in Christ. They, They wouldn't even begin to get there because they would not engage Timothy or Paul because he kept company with Timothy, knowing that Timothy was an apostate Jew, uncircumcised. And unclean. Paul and Timothy would not have been allowed to enter the synagogues. Isn't that what Paul did in every city that he went into? Where's the first place he would go? He would go to the synagogue and he would share Christ. That was his tradition every time he entered a city. And if Paul had kept company with Timothy, he would no longer even be trusted by his Jewish brothers. And these are people for whom Paul still had a very devoted heart, a love, a deep love for them. He says to us in Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3 I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul felt that deeply for the Jewish people, that they would know Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. Paul and Timothy did this, this circumcision that they did not have to do. They they let go of their freedom in Christ, not under pressure, not because they were forced to, not to perform some religious rite that they didn't have to do. They did it to remove a cultural roadblock to the gospel mission in order to remove a stigma that would have stopped the gospel dead in its tracks before it even had a chance to get started in these people's lives. They did it so that the Acts 1-8 mission could continue to progress under their watch. We have missionaries here at AUC, don't we? We have a whole board full of missionaries. Our missionaries do this kind of thing all the time, especially the foreign missionaries. They they go out to these other countries and they learn a new language, don't they? Why? Because if they went in there and just spoke English, it'd be a barrier to the gospel, wouldn't it? They they go and they learn a new language so that there will not be a language barrier so that they can engage those that they are trying to reach with the gospel. And this takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes practice. Has anybody here ever tried to study a foreign language? Has anybody ever been successful at it? Right? It's hard, isn't it? And these missionaries, they leave behind some amount of themselves, and they take the time, the effort, and the practice, and often the frustration, time that they could have used to go golfing or, or watch their favorite television show, They they take this and they set it aside in order to open doors for the gospel message. To remove those cultural roadblocks that would stop the gospel dead in its tracks. Why? Because it's more important to them to see people saved by the grace of God in Jesus Christ than that they have all this time for themselves to go golfing and watch that television show, than that they get to live in their comfort zones, in their nice house, in in wherever they might live in the States, and they go somewhere else to sleep on a pile of hay, or wherever they might have to live for a while. It's not nearly as nice out there as it is here. They give these things up. They give up their comfort zones for the sake of Christ. Paul later wrote these words to the Corinthians. He says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself under the law, that I might win those under the law that I might share with them in its blessings. This gracious contradiction that we find in Paul and Timothy is an example to us of being fully committed to living out the law of Christ. Not the law of Moses that consists of religious works and, and things we have to do to gain our own righteousness, but the law of love. The law that we see lived out by Christ himself. Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ. Again, that's rhetorical. There is encouragement in Christ. Any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit God himself did not count his equality with the Father and the Spirit something to be held on to so tightly that he wouldn't humble himself. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. We see in Christ... And therefore, in Paul and Timothy, as followers of Christ, a willingness, a desire even, to give up a portion of themselves for the eternal sake of others. A self-sacrificial love, like Christ has shown to us, this is what we at Alden Union Church, we as Christians, we as believers, are called to. Timothy was not circumcised because he had to be. But because he wanted to be. Not because circumcision is fun by any means, but so that he could be a more effective tool for the gospel kingdom of Christ. He was living out his faith. It's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? In what ways am I pursuing the selfless life? that I'm called to, that I see here in Paul and Timothy in this passage. If I was forced to put pen to paper, would I be able to write, could I list any way that I am striving to open the doors to the gospel in my soil, in that sphere of influence lives that I have? How am I striving to do that? Even if it hurts a little bit, even if it takes some time away or something away from myself, from my freedom in Christ... These things don't and will not happen by accident in our lives. As Paul and Timothy went out to share the gospel together, Paul and Timothy had to put in some forethought. If Timothy was to continue to do ministry with Paul, they had to think, who will we be ministering to? Who are we going to run into? And what are they going to think as we come in? They had to be aware of the people and the concerns of those around them so that they could even begin to engage them. Yes, they could have stood on their ideals. They could have stood on the fact that Timothy did not have to be circumcised. Or they could make that choice to simply remove that roadblock, that cultural roadblock so they could open a door for the gospel. Timothy, let's circumcise you. So we don't have to spend months and years trying to explain this. We can go in and we, you can be clean before their eyes. We know you're clean before God already as you are. But let's make you clean before their eyes so that we can just go in and engage them. The decree of the Second Jerusalem Council finished itself with this idea, didn't it? Chapter 15, starting at verse 19. They, they made this list of things that they thought the Gentiles should do. It says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. For he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. Do you remember what we said about that, that? That they called the people to live out their witness for Christ knowing and understanding that there's people in every city who who know the law of Moses and, and walk by that. And we need to live out our witness being aware of those around us. So even though eating blood doesn't matter as far as being clean before God, God declared all foods clean, go ahead, if you're a good German, eat a blood sausage. You need to be aware of those around you. And if eating that sausage is going to cause somebody to stumble, can you give up that freedom? Are you willing to give up that freedom? Or are we going to be those who stand and say, no, I've got freedom in Christ. I'm going to use it. I'm going to take advantage of it. And who cares about that person? Or are we willing to give up that freedom that we might engage somebody else? Am I willing to live out a life of gracious contradiction? What freedoms in Christ am I willing to give up for the sake of the gospel, even though God does not demand it of me? What am I willing to do? What am I willing to allow? What what might I forsake in my life so that the Acts 1-8 mission can progress under my watch? Has that become my heart yet as we've been going through the book of Acts? That I bear witness right where I am and everywhere I go, that others would know the eternal life that I have? Because living this way with this gracious contradiction in our lives, it it not only opens the door for ministry of the gospel to to new believers, but it also strengthens the body of Christ. Look at verse 4 of our passage today. Chapter 16, verse 4 and 5, it says, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Think about this whole situation from a Jewish perspective. At first, the circumcision of Timothy simply gains Paul and Timothy an audience with these Jews, right? And then when these Jews begin to come to faith, and they begin to understand the freedom in Christ, and they look at Timothy and they say, Wow! You did that even though you didn't have to, so that I could come to know Christ too? Wow, you did this for me. Thank you. And so, numbers were added to the church, and the church was strengthened because Paul and Timothy were willing to give up their freedom in Christ. May our lives as a church family and as individuals be a gracious contradiction. I, I, I don't have to do this or that, but I will, even though it means a, a certain amount of self-sacrifice, of time, energy, golf, television, whatever it might be. May we live out that law of love, that law of Christ so that the gospel might be seen in us just as much as it is heard from us in the words we say that our family in Christ here might be strengthened and that perhaps somebody out there would come to know the eternal life that we have. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for the life you've given us in Jesus Christ. We praise you, Father, for the freedom that we have. And Lord, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would impress upon our hearts the the freedoms that we might be able to let go, that you might be greater glorified in our lives, who we are, how we live, and, and our church and our family and as individuals. Lord God, would you just take our lives and let them be a sacrifice to you, We look forward to eternity. Help us to use the short time we have here for your greatest glory, we pray in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.